part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. If you're here for the first time or if you just uh, you've missed a couple weeks, we've been in Jonah. And we're going to continue on. We've been on Jonah, I guess, for about four weeks. It's a short book. It's in the Old Testament. Um, do not be afraid whatsoever to have to look it up in the table of contents because it's only only a couple pages. It's just a very short book. And we've been traveling through that and finding out that there are just so many lessons here for us and that this wasn't just a, a, one of those famous fish tales of the Old Testament where we start thinking about, man, could a, could a fish really do that? Could it really a guy survive three nights into the belly of this fish? And we get kind of enamored by that part of it that we kind of really lose the thrust of it. And so one thing that we've been trying to do is not in any way try to discredit any of those stories. I believe literally that there was a man named Jonah, that he did spend three nights in the belly of a fish, because it's easy to believe once you see everything else that Christ did. I mean, we just talked about creation. When you're talking about you're taking nothing, a void, and all of a sudden you speak, and, and it's there, planets, stars, this and that. Folks, three nights, a guy staying alive in a belly well is nothing compared to that. If you're going to struggle in your faith, struggle somewhere where God, you know, the Savior of the world is dead and then rises from the grave on the third day. That's you know, a place where you're going, that just doesn't make sense. But as we've been going through this story, we've been seeing really that there's an application for us. And um, you know, I was thinking about VBS this week, and uh, along with all those songs and the, the story theme of God over the planets, the God of creation... They looked at a movie, and they split up into five different parts. And it's a pretty exciting movie. It involves a kid. And one of the kids in the movie is his father is an astronaut, and he's out, and he's on this mission to Mars, and their guidance system goes awire, and it just goes off, and they're lost kind of in space. And so the kids are watching this every day, and they kind of unfold another chapter, another chapter. And on Friday, you get to this kind of this culminating event, this very end-of-the-story kind of thing, and uh, I was sitting there in the back watching, and the kids are here, and they're literally on the edge of their seats. You know, you use that, but they are literally on the edge of their seats waiting for the conclusion to happen. And then right when it happens, this very dramatic moment, I don't know who it was, but there was a kid right in here. And again, he's going to be called Pastor one day, because this kid goes, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Anybody know the Croods? Yeah, I mean, do you know that? Have you seen that? There's this little soft by the name of Belt. And, you know, at about five or six different times in that little animation movie, you know, at the, the, the really kind of the tense moments or these eye-opening moments, he's there and he goes, dun, dun, dun. And I said, man, I don't know who that kid is, but I just gained, he gained my respect of this proper timing. Well, you know, as we go through Jonah, guys, there's been a whole bunch of moments that you could easily go, dun, dun, dun. You know, that's the end of the story. I mean, Jonah chapter 1, God gives a prophet. This is his whole job. You answer God's call. You follow what God tells you to do. And he goes off. He's rebellious. We already know why, because we've cheated. And we looked in chapter 4, and we saw that it was a heart matter and not just this matter of being afraid. And so we look at Jonah going in the opposite direction. We see that God appoints by his sovereignty. He appoints a storm, and then he later appoints this fish. And God is orchestrating these events, but easily... The story could have been one of those, dun, dun, dun. When Jonah is going to the bottom of the sea, and we're going, okay, end of story. Lesson learned, don't disobey God. But chapter 2 comes. God appointed a storm, and then he appoints a fish. 
the fish swallows up Jonah. Jonah has a prayer of repentance in chapter 2. He prays and he says, okay, God, I need you. He becomes, uh, he begins to realize his need for God, his rebellion. He, he talks about idolatry and he identifies himself as one of those idolaters. He said, you know, God, I put my own mind in the place of your will and my own desires in the place of what you've called me to do. And so at that time, God instructs and appoints that appointed fish to come and not only spit Jonah out after three days in the belly of this fish, but on dry land. And you could have easily said, dun, 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 end of story. Even in our rebellion, God, in his pursuit of us, loves us and provides for us a Savior. But it doesn't stop there. We began to look in chapter 3 last week, and in chapter 3 we begin to see that God obeys, I mean that Jonah obeys God, he finally, as he spit out there on dry land, he goes, I better go be obedient this time. He goes into Nineveh. He preaches what we have in English, an eight-word sermon, don't you wish, and uh, five words in Hebrew, and he preaches this. He goes throughout the land, and the people really do repent, even all the way from the lowest, it says, to the highest, to the people just walking the street, to the king, and even the cows. Not that the cows have a soul to repent, but it says that even the cows, even the cattle, are kind of involved in this repentance. And so we say, man, end of story. God wins again. And we could easily end there. But the story doesn't end there. There's one more chapter, chapter 4, and it's going to take two weeks to go through that. Because I, I was tempted. I, I've already had three versions of this sermon just for this week. And I'd have to go back and revise every single time. Because at first I was going to cover the whole chapter 4. And, and yet I said, no, there's just too much here. So let's be slow. Let's be methodical. And let's not miss all the different points that are relevant to our lives in this chapter. So we're just going to look at the first five verses this morning. Then we'll come back next week and we'll look at the final ones and see kind of the reaction of what happens there. But I think that there's a a, a true truth there this morning for us uh, about obedience and some lessons uh, that we learn from these first five verses that we really need to kind of grasp and hold on to. See, one thing that we begin to see as we examine Jonah, he never stopped believing God. Never stopped believing God. He never stopped knowing God. Certainly there's been people in our lives that say, you know, I just don't believe in God. And, and we can have conversation with those people. But, but Jonah doesn't get to this point where he says, you know, I really doubt the eternal existence of a, of a heavenly being that's over all things. He never comes to that place. Philosophically, theologically, he never comes to a place where he says, I doubt God. His struggle is he just doesn't agree with God. That God has asked him something to do. And it's not so much, again, as a a prophet, man, you just do what God tells you to do. And yet he had a fundamental, down in his heart, a disagreement with holy God. Jonah would be the first one to tell you that God is gracious, that God is merciful, that God is slow to anger, that he's abounding in love. How do we know that? Because he actually says that in his prayer. Look at chapter 4, verse, uh, chapter four, verse 1 and 2. This is where we cheated ahead, even on the first week. We wanted to get to the root of the matter and say that this wasn't just, oh, I didn't understand. You said Nineveh? I thought you said Decatur. You know, this wasn't a, you know, a, a map quest problem. This wasn't a, uh, an app problem where you just didn't need to go. No, there's a rebellious heart here. And it wasn't just fearful. Yes, the Ninevites were the most violent people. Modern-day Iran, Iraq, the Assyrians, the Jewish people hated them. They already were in contention with them. You see that contention even today, the Jewish people. 
and the, the nations and the people that live there. And so for thousands of years, this is there. He knows that, but that's not why he didn't go. We know because of his own testimony, his own words, hey, here's why I didn't want to go. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. But it displeased Jonah, what? Exceedingly. Uh, the Hebrew word there is not just, okay, here's displeasure, here's a little bit more, and then here's just a touch more. The word that's used here is like this, you know, this waterfall of disagreement. This isn't just, okay, I guess we can both agree to disagree. This is not what's happening here. He is in major disagreement with what God wants to do. Read on. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I prayed when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Look at the next phrase. For I knew what? That you were a gracious God, that you're merciful, that you're slow to anger, that you're abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disasters. Does Jonah believe in God? Does he know some things about God, the nature and the very character of God? That's not his problem. He identifies these things. But in that identification of grace and mercy, in this identification that he's slow to anger against these people that Jonah hates and their nations are rivals, he said, I just, you should not be saving those people. We're bad, but they're really off the chart bad. That's his disagreement. Well, what's the point, guys? You meet, all the, you meet people all the time. Well, I, I believe in God. And I've met some people that uh, say they believe in God, that there is a God. I've met people that can even tell you a lot about God. They can go down characteristics. Oh, he's merciful, he's graceful, he's loving, he's this, he's kind, he's slow to, to anger. They can tell you about God. And yet, even for the Christian that would knows these things that would know these things about God there's times in our lives if we're really honest that God's will and his heart is different from our will and our heart that's what we identify here i mean Christ ran into that hey i tell you go love your enemies and pray for them jesus this is not <laughs> jesus that's not going to get the crowds you tell them that you want a you know, a Jewish revival and that we're going to kick the Romans out of town. Jewish, that, Jesus, that will draw the crowds. That's going to get people behind you. You need to stick with that kind of story. You know, when you're talking about victory, come in there and tell them that we're going to run the Romans out of town. Jesus said, you know, that's not why I came. Here's my message. It's one of forgiveness. It's one of grace. It's one of love. And, and, and it's one that says, okay, you got an enemy? Pray for your enemy. Folks, there's going to be times in our lives, if we're just honest, that we can know God, believe in God, know about God, and I would even say love God. Some commentators say, you know, they think that uh, that Jonah did not love God. I think he does love God. I don't think it's a mature love. I don't think it's a a love that is kind of uh, used by the gospel, that is kind of motivated by the gospel here. But I think that he does love God. It's not just a head knowledge. But when it gets down to the core of his fire and his beating, how God is acting to these other people, he disagrees with. So look what happens here. Jonah has no problem with the subject of God's grace. He just doesn't want it to go to these people. It goes beyond what he kind of agrees with. And so look in verse 3. 
Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Okay, was he a little bit angry? Was he a lot angry? Was he exceedingly angry? Remember what the first one said? And, And it shows here. There's a little spiritual temper tantrum that's going on here a little bit. He's upset to the point where he says something that, that folks, you're going, well, he's just kind of, you know, shooting off at the mouth. He's just kind of exaggerating. No, he says, okay, therefore, God, since you are this way, and I went into town, I did preach your sermon, they did repent, you're going to save these people, I think, you, you might as well just take my life. This is the level of that disagreement. More than just a little bit upset. The actual Hebrew rendering of verse 1 is that when you look at it in the context, that what, Jonah, what God was doing, Jonah considered evil. Have you ever been that right about your own way? That you would look to God in heaven and say, God, not only do I disagree, but I think what you're actually doing is actually evil. That's the Hebrew word here, guys. This is how adamant he is about it. This shows the condition of this heart and this mind. Here's the bottom line. And, and please grasp this, because this is where we're, we want to really drive this home today. What pleased God did not please Jonah. When we can determine it like that, I promise you, there are going to be times, even if you're a Christian, you love God, you know about God, you read books about His grace, this, that there's going to be times in your life that what pleases God does not please you. There's going to be times in our lives like that, guys. So what do we do about that? Can we do a temper tantrum? This is more than a little spiritual temper tantrum. I did temper tantrums when I was little. Probably pretty obvious. When I was a little kid, when I would get angry didn't get my way, I would throw, go down to the ground and I would beat my head on the floor. <laughs> Explains a lot. <laughs> Explains a whole lot. I actually have scars on my head, actually, where I, because one time I was outside on the concrete floor and I busted my head open. I did it with such force that I busted my head open. They said I never did it again after that. Okay? My sweet wife, Carly, you know what she used to do? She used to run, when she would get upset, she would run underneath her bed, mom and dad chasing kind of behind, and she would hold her breath. And she would threaten to hold her breath. And her mom would freak out. But her dad goes, let her do it. It's not like she's going to really actually be able to, you know, end her life because she's kind of holding her breath. And so temper tantrums, that is not what's happening here. Those were silly. Those who were immature. They were childish. This is way beyond kicking and screaming. What Jonah does here, he questions the very character and the very wisdom of God. Point one, guys, you you can be a Christian, you can love Jesus, you can know about Jesus, you you can be a child of of grace and come to the times where you question the wisdom of God. I've done it many, many times. Not purposely, maybe not even angrily, but just, you know, God, why? I've had a lot of why moments. I, I think if you're an intelligent person and you're thinking through and you're really kind of growing in Christianity, there are going to be times that even if you're maturing and growing in Christianity, and even if you have this love for God, that events in this broken world are going to cause you to say, God, why? I, I don't know why you allowed this. I don't know why this is allowed to be kind of go on. God, I don't know why. And at those times, I don't know that the question itself 
is one of those things that we just sit there, okay, that's evil and that's bad. No, it's when we allow that to allow us to go to a point where we're exceedingly angry and we rebel. If Jonah just would have said, look, I don't get it. Why do you even love those Ninevites? Do you know the evil that they do? Do you not know the evil that they've done against your people? And kind of, you know, cited it with that. But that's not where he's coming. He gets exceedingly angry down in his gut because he disagrees with God and the very wisdom of God and the very character of God. Folks, there's going to be times in our lives that we really, all we have is to trust what we see about God in the, the Word. That, that you'll be living out this life and the next step of what happened here, you're going, okay, God, this does not make sense. You're a loving God. You're a God of grace. If you save me, then can you save me from this predicament in life? Maybe it's a medical thing. Maybe it's this, that, and the other. And we really, we're just grasping. That's not unnormal, and that's not inhuman. It's what we do from that point on. It's pretty critical. In that frustration or in that questioning, do we turn and just throw ourselves to the mercy and the grace of God and say, God, I I don't agree with this. I don't see how you're going to work good from this bad, but I trust you implicitly. You sent your very own son to die in my place. If you did that, then you're not going to withhold any really good thing in this big picture from me. And so I trust you, even though I cannot figure out how this is ever going to be used for good. Or at that crucial point, is it going to be one of those things you're going, okay, God, this is a deal breaker. I thought that you were a loving God, but I don't see this as loving. And so I declare even in my mind, maybe you're not a loving God. And we begin to kind of go on a path here at this crossroads that we do trust God or do we just kind of rebel against God and we get angry, even to the point of maybe exceedingly angry. What happens? He doesn't stop believing God. He doesn't stop knowing God. He just really struggles with trusting God. This is inevitable. Uh, listen to what this says, Isaiah 55, 8. Maybe you've heard this before. This is the, the voice of God. This is not something that was said about God. This is what God said about himself. When I say, hey, I think God is like that, always listen to that and put a question mark by it, Okay. When God speaks for himself, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life, write that one down, underline that one, highlight that, because that's God describing himself. And this verse from Isaiah is God describing himself. And look what he says about himself. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares who? Lord. He said, I mean, I understand that there's going to be times that where I'm going and what you're thinking, they're not going to seemingly line up. Why? Because... I mean, he doesn't say this. This is the part you kind of question about. Okay, here's the comment from the pastor. Do you really want a God that the same way that your mind works, his mind works? I mean, there's certainly been those times when God does something that I disagree with that I want God to, you know, I want to arm wrestle him back over to my side. But do you really want a God who either surrenders his will for your will or kind of shies away at every whim or every question. No, God himself, he says, man, here's what I declare. Here's what I declare, says the Lord. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. There's going to be times that your thoughts and my thoughts, they're not going to be congruent. So what do we do? 
God, God sees beyond you. That's, that's why he can do things. Can you imagine being Joseph? Can you imagine being Joseph? And there's times that, okay, I'm stuck down here in this jail. I'm the one that did the right thing. I ran away. And, and yet, you know, Joseph, we don't really see him complaining. I, I imagine there are some times that he was questioning God. How is this all going to line up? And it's not until we get to Genesis 50:20 that we see that God was working all things for good. Even that, those things that were meant for evil, it says, I was working for good. So the continuance of the gospel... So this covenant that he makes with Abraham, the lineage goes on even through Joseph. God's always working on this. And yet, here, here's the, the difficulty. We live in this. And anything past this, guys, anything past this requires faith. That's the hard part of the Christian law. We live here. We can see last week, next week, maybe a month down the road. And God's always working to this end, to the eternal end. And so sometimes we can say, man, God, you just don't care. Remember the disciples in the boat? Jesus is sleeping in the front and the waves are coming over. These are experienced fishermen. And yet the waves are so big. They go, wake him up. Does he not care? Do you not care? Jesus goes, man, I, I got this view. Man, you got this view. This is why it's good to have a God of grace who is slow to anger, who is ever patient. Okay, guys? The very things that Jonah was describing, he needed to be thankful for. Because if not, Jonah really should be at the bottom of the sea right now, right? God could appoint the storm and not appoint the fish. Or he can appoint the, the fish and say, okay, just slowly digest him over a four or five day period. You know, let him really kind of let this soak in that he's been disobedient, but yet he has the same God who appointed the fish to appoint the fish to spit him up on dry land. The very area of our struggle, the very times that we don't see it congruent, that's when we come back and say, okay, God, because you are working for eternity, thank you. I don't see it yet. I don't agree with it. I'm kind of angry. I hope I don't get exceedingly angry, but God, I trust this because I can't see it, but I know that you can. It's a really difficult part of our Christian maturity. You see, God could have easily left Jonah in his condition. What was his condition? I would describe it by these two words, obedient and maturity. Why do I use those words? Because he was obedient. He finally, in chapter 3, where does he go? Nineveh. Does he preach the sermon that God told him to preach? Yeah. So he's obedient, but he's immature. How do we know that? Because we just read a little bit of verse 1 and 2 and 3. And we see that his heart's not there. God's love for Jonah is great. His grace is great. His forgiveness is great. His patience is great. And he does not leave Jonah in that state of obedient immaturity. Look at verse 4. So it's one of those verses, uh, before I read it, if you believe in writing them in your Bible, and I do, it's a textbook, Okay. This is one of those circle asterisks. This is a bold, bold, bold statement from God. Look what he says. And the Lord said, do you, um, do you do well to be angry? Let that sink in a little bit. There's a lot of different ways we can read that. It is a rhetoric question, the, the way that it is in the original language. In the Hebrew, it's set up as a rhetorical uh, question. That is, the answer is already implied. In a way, we could read it, hey, how's that working out for you there, Jonah? 
if we, and, and I think it has a measure of that. Certainly there's a little measure of that, but I don't think it's coming from a God who's being sarcastic. Because most time when people ask me or tell you, hey, how's that working out for you? It's got a lot of sarcasm, doesn't it? It's got some bite. In other words, are you really that foolish? Now you're seeing what foolishness brings. And so a lot of times when you say that, it's one of those things we're saying it as a skeptic. I don't believe that God is saying, hey, Jonah, how's that working out for you? In that kind of sarcastic tone. I think what he's really doing is in this question, he's saying, okay, Jonah, how is that working out for you? There was a time that Job, remember Job? We always use him as the, the poster boy of what it is to, to have unfairness, loss, grief in our life. Job really loses. He loses his, his children. He loses a lot of his cattle, his wealth, all these different things. And he comes to the point in, in Job, and he basically says, my version of, it'd be better for me to be dead than alive. With all this misery, with all this, it'd be better for me to be dead than alive. Listen to God's response to that statement of Job. Job, chapter 38, verse 4 and 5. Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Is there a measure of sarcasm in that? But but it's kind of a, a sarcastic, that's not this kind of punitive sarcasm as much as it, okay, let me paint the picture. Job, you're looking here. I understand that. Can you trust a God who's looking here? Job, where were you when I was hanging stars? Where were you when I was making planets? Sure, surely you know. That, that's the part that I think is a little sarcastic. But I think it's a pure sarcasm. It's not this evil sarcasm. I think it's to really get Job thinking Wow, yeah, I wasn't there hanging stars. I wasn't hanging planets. I wasn't doing all this. And if that's who God is and he has this under control, then he has this under control. And I believe that God is doing the same thing here by this question. Do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? Here's the bottom line. God wants to move Jonah from a place of Obedient immaturity to a place of obedient maturity. If you're here this morning, you're a Christian, you've put your faith and trust in Christ. You may be, have some measure of obedience in your life. You love God, you're trying to follow God, and yet there's going to be times in your life that you have obedient immaturity. You're just not there. And that's our whole theme. Remember for 2017 that we're in this race and we're trying to run this race with Christ guiding us and helping us to mature more and more, become more like Christ? Well, that's what God is actually doing for Jonah here. As Jonah is kind of messing up, he says, let me help you with this. Now, why do we do that? Here's the major problem that happens when we go from this view down to this view. We got to get our eyes off the truth of the gospel, off this great God that we serve, and we begin to look at me, myself, and I. Can you identify? That's really where we start to struggle. We go from here and we go to here. Why? Because this is kind of where we live right now. Go back to, to verse 2 and 3, to Jonah's statement to God. 
I want you to count the number of times. I have them highlighted there for, for those that... I better not say that. I was going to say those from the University of Alabama. I've got them highlighted for you so you can see them. But uh, and now I said it. <laughs> okay. Jonah Tefer, look at the number of times that he says, okay, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, it is not what I said when I was yet in my country. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slowing to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting in disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He tells the character of God, but where is his focus? Yeah. I mean, he knows that he's the God of grace, abounding in love and all these different things. He knows this. He declares that. But his focus is right here. Not so different from the parable that Jesus told about the two sons, also known as the prodigal son. Prodigal son goes off. Prodigal son comes home. Gets grace, mercy. Father says, man, we're going to throw a party because you were dead and now you're alive. You were lost and you're found. You would think everybody would celebrate, but there's one person in that story that Jesus purposely is saying was not celebrating. Who was it? That older brother. Listen to the words in that parable of the older brother and see if you can see some eyes, me's, and my's. Luke 15, verse 29. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Which, this is the eternal problem. This is, it's not that you know, we just instantly say, I don't believe in God. It's not that we don't have some knowledge of the goodness and the grace of God, but there's going to be times in our life in that crucible that we're just not going to see congruently with God. And at that time, our prayer, our prayer needs to be, God, will you take me out of this? And will you give me a trust of this? I don't see it. I, I, I kind of, what I do see, I disagree with. But will you allow me not to go to a place where I am angry and especially exceedingly angry? Three questions for you this morning. Do you do well to be angry? I mean, that's what he asked Jonah. I guarantee you God can ask me that. When, when I get my little... I mean, have you ever had your little spiritual disagreements, God? Your little times where you're going, God, that's just not fair. And isn't it right that God would be able to ask each one of us, do you do, do you do right? Do you do well to be angry? Again, I don't think he's being sarcastic. I think he's doing it in the most loving way. I think it's like what he told Job. Job, he could come up, Job, where were you when I was making stars and planets? And I think that the way that Job that received that and heard that was that God in his loving way said, okay, Job, I want to make a point here. And it's it's a strict point, but it's a loving point. Job, where were you when I was making stars and hanging plants, measuring out things? You know, right? No, you don't know. So trust me on this. First question, do you do well to be angry? Second question this morning, is your life more characterized by obedient maturity uh, immaturity or obedient maturity. Remember, obedient immaturity. You, you do. You kind of walk the motions. You live a religious, maybe even a moral life. But it, it, is your heart God's? I mean, are you just you're being obedient, and yet God doesn't have your heart. Third question. 
do you delight in the things that delight God's heart? The things that just God delights in are those the things that delight your heart. Even when there's things that you don't understand. We'll close in this. You know, I do a lot of marriage counseling. And as much as I hate seeing couples go through times of struggle with one another, one of the things I hope that I, is always a, a, a part of that counseling is the hope of the gospel. Hey, guys, here's where we are. And yes, we have disagreement. And yes, we have this and we have that. But God, here, here, guys, here's our hope that God can make all things new, that God can restore and put love where there's no love, that God can do this and the other, the hope of the gospel. And so when we begin to focus on that, and then it comes time, there is a place where those couples have to forgive and kind of let the past be the past. And that's really hard, especially if you've been the one, you're the one that's been burned. And, and it, but I believe it's an active choice that you really can't move on. But let me ask you this, using that one illustration. Does God delight in a marriage that is restored by the hope of the gospel? Does God delight in a marriage restored by the hope of the gospel? Yes. And as we can delight in the things that God delights in, that's where all of a sudden, did God delight in Ninevites from the least to the most, and even the cows, for all the animal lovers, and even the cows kind of come into this place. Did God delight in the Ninevites turning to him? Yes. And yet we will see next week that Jonah didn't delight in it. That was, that was the trouble. He was obedient. He went and he told. But he did not delight in the things that God delighted in. And, and that's the, the strong call of maturity in Christ. It's not the call of the gospel to come to Christ. But as you're walking with Christ, it certainly is that call that more and more and more, that as we get in the situations of this, that we say, okay, God, I, I don't understand. Even more, I don't really, what the parts I do understand, I don't agree with. And so will you give me this vision that goes beyond? And even where you don't give me vision, will you just give me faith? Why my favorite prayer in the whole Bible is that daddy who came up. He said, I believe. Will you help my unbelief? That's my prayer almost every day. God, I believe you are a sovereign God. You are a saving God. You are a gracious God. You are a God who is abounding in love and grace. All those things that he says, will you help my unbelief? Because I get stuck right here, God. And there's times that in that situation... I can not only disagree, but I can become angry. And I'm so fearful that I would even become exceedingly angry. Will you bring my heart back to know who you are? Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, we are Jonah. Father, I don't know that there's an adult who has lived life with Christ that hasn't had some form of this happen in their lives. But, Father, we just we don't understand or we disagree and we get angry. Thank you that you are a long-suffering God, that you are a forgiving God, that you are a restoring God. You are a pursuing God. That in our anger, as we march out, off and, and we throw a little temper tantrum, that you send a fish after us. That you allow us to come to a place of repentance. That you spit up 
us up on dry land, that you keep us in protection when we're out about doing, spreading the, the word that you have given us. The very God that Jonah complained that you were was the very God that saved him. And Father, will you allow us to really see that, embrace it? But most of all, Father, just to grow in that. Father, today, we love you. And Father, if there's somebody here that's really struggling, they're at one of those places that they just are kind of it's frictional, Father. They just don't understand it. They don't see it. They're maybe even angry. Maybe even they would say that they're exceedingly angry. Father, will you show them your love, your grace, your patience? Father, will you caress them? Will you let them know in the most loving of terms, do you do, be, do, you do well to be angry? And just love them back to your arms, Father. We thank you. We love you. And we want to serve you. As we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.